0: You all gotta do
1: it's it. Even, oh, even, oh, the, oh we're doing this. We're
2: you yes. Doing
0: it oh. no, I, think, I
1: think I think maybe just you doing it is better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're so i are so glad, though. Uh, look, all I'm saying is
1: <laughs> is that's.
2: <laughs>
0: He
1: hated it That's so fair. much.
0: That's fair. That uh...
2: That's just how I felt when I saw the intermission.
3: Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Botker.
2: I am Ben Young. Jason. Wait, what did he say? <laughs> I said my name because
4: usually I sat next to Mark.
2: Oh, well, you didn't say it. I wasn't <laughs> sure. I forgot where you went. Oh my god, Jason's here.
4: Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> hey. Yeah. What's up?
2: I wish Who I could near? touch
1: him like the monolith. I know. The next day, a year later.
3: (laughs) Um, I'm I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back. There's no one else after it. Okay. And tonight we are talking about for our 100th fucking episode. (gasps) We did the
5: soundtrack
2: just
3: now. (laughs) Uh, Tonight we're talking about 2001: A Space Odyssey. Um, before we get into that, though, I don't know, let's just play around with the fact that this is our fucking hundredth episode. Here's Ben Young with the news. <laughs> no, we don't do No, talk about are. abandoned <laughs> bits.
0: Uh, God. Uh,
3: Where
1: in the world I...
3: is Casper
1: Van Dien. Oh,
0: man. <laughs> we, you know, it's... Talk about abandoned bits. Oh,
3: man. <laughs>
2: we got that dude to delete his to Twitter. We Delive, did. We, we
3: technically cyber-bullied.
1: right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we we cyber-bullied Casper Van Dien. <laughs> I think this whole show is just cyber-bullying. Can
1: that be like our tagline? Like, Sci-fi cross-sections, the only podcast is cyber-bully Casper Van Dien. <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah.
4: it's, a high, it's a high watermark right there. You know, we
3: always had aspirations. That wasn't one of them, but we still achieved it anyways. You know, sometimes uh, the great
1: things are, you know, it's the Casper Van Deeds that you... Cyberbully along the way, so, yep.
0: We also cyberbully Dane DeHaan a lot. Like, a lot. We try to. I think he's... We interviewed to Dude, his to fucking our, haircut cyber-bullies him enough. We
2: cyberbully the French? <laughs>
3: That's true. Uh, they had it coming, though. Um, I'm pretty sure we've insulted Japan on multiple occasions, oh, yes. or at least anime. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, they won in the end. We've <laughs> um, already been okay. over this.
1: <laughs> There's literally a document signed by
3: the... <laughs> <laughs> Chester the Nimitz was Yeah, there. Who made your
1: car?
2: <laughs> huh? Who made your TV? Uh, Canada made my car.
1: Uh,
3: South, uh, South Korea. Uh, I don't know, man. I
1: don't know. Okay? Okay. Uh,
3: so I was thinking, and by I was thinking, I think it was a good suggestion from Ben, and I think it's a great idea. No, who said it? I don't know. Either way. Probably me. Uh, we've done so many fucking episodes now that we've probably forgotten more than we can remember. Who
5: are it. you people? I don't
3: know <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> Anyways, I thought it'd be really cool if you guys wanted to go around the table and just talk about some of your favorite moments or moment. Yeah. From the podcast. And just to keep it interesting, we're going in reverse order.
1: Oh. Andrew. Oh, no. Oh, button? baby. Oh, no. I wasn't
0: ready. Um... Well, I think I'm the most recent addition to the podcast. Um, one one thing that I always kind of go back to in my mind is uh, the first episode that I was on, Event Horizon. I'm Paul Anderson, a.k.a. Andrew.
3: Alright, uh, with us today is Andrew Miller. Paul Anderson. Hey, how's it going? We
2: couldn't afford real Paul Anderson, so we
3: had to or bring him you, you got like, showbiz. When he like... found out today's topic, he literally mess. We're not even Facebook friends. And Which is he, weird. He messaged Which me is weird, like two three different. times. I could send you God. a letter. I sent you smoke time. signals. <laughs> yeah. Paul Revere was like he right in your house. He actually paid for next day's shipping.
0: <laughs> they sent you an old-fashioned telegram.
3: And uh, <laughs> he found the only Western begged so. me to put him on here, which, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty Expensibly, easy. So yes. here. here you are today. I am here.
0: <laughs> I always think about that episode. I always uh, really like that one. Um, that's the origin of a lot of good jokes. Uh, you know... Andrew W. S. Miller uh, is a good one. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just like me, just kind of guess becoming a returning guy on the show. That's I guess that's why my uh, my salutation is always Andrew's back. Yeah. Well, that makes you sense. Because yeah. I mean, I, I mean, at one point, I mean, that that Event Horizon was the first episode, but. At one point, I had to come back. Like, I was invited back to just be a regular guy, I guess. You know, it's funny. And
3: honestly, we haven't evolved much since then in some ways. But uh,
0: Sometimes all you need is one evolution. Before
3: you showed up, though, we were literally just a bunch of guys sitting around a coffee table, like, drinking way more beer than we should in one sitting while trying to actually be intellectual. And you showed up. uh, (laughs) You had, like, a fucking notepad. You were, like, flipping shit. And you're talking about, like, all of these, like, religious illusions. And I'm just like... Holy shit, and, we need to step our game and up. And now he's the one who falls asleep. We need asleep. a better craft. Now he's the yeah, one who falls I asleep
2: drunk at the table,
3: so. <laughs> I <forgot.
2: laughs> I don't remember what I episode forgot. that was, but I'm grateful for it.
3: He literally fell asleep, and then he like got it together in time for us to go around the table to him, and he like said his shit and then did
0: that. <laughs> that was yeah. mightily impressive. You know, it, it, it does happen. To the best of us. I'm <laughs> right. a very tired, but I'm a very sleepy boy. Oh, uh, let me tell you about the one time I fell asleep in Big Lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was on one of those mattresses, wasn't it? It was a floor model couch. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's a good The rest of my group couldn't find me. <laughs> I think the worst I've ever fallen asleep is at a
3: uh, Oktoberfest. The worst you've ever fallen asleep. Like worst place. It was at an Oktoberfest at the table. I was like eating food and I was just so oh. drunk. I just imagine the situation. I
1: just imagine bar. Just walking. Yeah. Just, just, right in, in a, yeah. just walking sorry. around big lots, just being like, well, oh, guess this is my life now. And then you just <laughs> <laughs> make your bed on the, on the well, couch.
0: Well, I, we were, we were, I was part of a uh, golf team in, in high school. So it was a big lots in like Virginia.
1: Like you do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, um, I just sat down to like take a load off. We were like taking way too long in there. And, uh, I have a history of sleeping very poorly, and so I sat down on the couch, and my brain just shut the fuck off. <laughs> yeah, not. Hey man, sometimes... I fell asleep in, uh, around the clock once. No, oh, we've all fallen <laughs> asleep around the clock. I don't sometimes hear. big lots yeah, of Yeah, but it was it like 8pm. So it's fine. It's fine. Alrighty. Okay. <gasps>
1: Bill,
3: are you ready? Or
1: yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm 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 sweating. I'm ready to go. Um, he was watching cops. Yeah, I was watching cops. Um, so I was uh, so we're talking about our favorite moments in the podcast, right? Not at Big Lots, right?
2: Yes, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> okay, got oh, yes, yes. it. Just checking. Just uh, okay. In so this
5: circle, at least, <laughs>
1: we'll come back around for that. <laughs> we'll, one. we'll come back. I think we all have our piece on Big Lots. Um, so I think in uh, my favorite moments were and it it and this is i don't mean to be like stroking my own ego but in raised by wolves uh, episode 80 when we just would not when i i was obsessed with blood milk and our milk blood and like i and as much as ridley scott is obsessed with milk blood i was obsessed with milk blood and so i think um that running bit that entire show and i think i should bring the bit back i'm gonna bring the bit back and just be like where's the milk blood but yeah that was probably my favorite moments. So first question is, okay, one, okay, I, I, I looked at the timelines. This is not in the alien universe. This is not in the alien universe. So the fact, the fact that – I'm going to go straight into it, guys. The fact that androids have milk blood, they are filled with milk. They are sacks of milk with consciousnesses. The fact that that exists – it's literally because Ridley Scott said this is a deal breaker.
3: That was a good one, and I it wasn't until I watched that movie that I realized that Ridley Scott is just fucking obsessed with milk blood. It is so fucking weird. I don't know. Dude just likes his milk.
1: You can I I'd go on a whole rant, but just just go back to that episode. You know,
3: what? we've already done the rant. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, all right, Ben, you you okay? I'm just being Ridley. He needs the floss. You're just being Ridley? Okay. All right, Ben. Were you milking teats?
2: (laughs) Yeah, robot. I thought
5: you were flossing at first.
2: No. Uh, So I have two (laughs) favorites. I have a silly favorite and a real favorite. A real favorite was an episode that actually is not on our main feed. It was on our Patreon, and, and it hasn't made our way to the main feed yet. But it was... Bill and I's discussion on Westworld season 3. I think that's one of our best episodes and maybe it'll make its way to the main feed one day, but right now we want it to get to episode 100 uh naturally. So, um yeah, that was that's that one. And then of course, who could forget the episode that caused our rise to fame and greatness, which is Valerian and City of a Thousand Planets, ensconced in a gelatinous Rihanna, as the subtitle <laughs>
0: is. Uh, I think it's got everything. Yeah, we used to do subtitles. It's
2: got everything. It, it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. It
1: makes me... Let's
0: think about myself. It makes
2: Luke, best son Katie, ch- hate us. It...
1: M- makes me look at my audio settings. Everything.
2: <laughs> it makes it none, makes Bill think think about things. Big it makes Bill think about why this is on his screen. It makes him think. That was the original. of That there's a lot of like callbacks that all come from Valerian. So that's true. If yeah. that's you're true. listening to this and you haven't listened to the Valerian episode, you need to just it's our best go episode because it's so good. You don't need to watch the movie. In fact, I encourage you not to. No, but time out. Never ever 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 should like it's always a nice addendum but never ever should you have to say you should read the comment before seeing the movie because that is you should have known the moment he said that you should be like oh it's one of those
1: (laughs) (laughs) it'll be more entertaining if you don't oh my god let me see oh that's episode 39 for
3: anybody episode
2: 39 39. feels like it was just yesterday
3: babies Oh, God, that's so far away. Anyway. 39, we're at fucking 100, and that feels like yesterday. That's all. Alrighty. That's all I got.
0: Time flies when (laughs) you do weekly episodes.
3: Right. Well, given how I'm still picturing us in Bill's basement, sitting around a table. I know. So I'm going over to uh, Jason now.
4: Yeah, um... I don't know. You know, I've been kind of thinking about this, too. And like the Valerian episode to me was just I think that was one of the few moments where I almost crashed my car (laughs) into a ditch (laughs) on the way home. Uh, When getting to that part, you know, Miller's whole uh, tirade there the first time, I think I was laughing so hard. And like that's when, you know, like. That was that was a good moment, very yeah. unscripted, but uh, we all had a good a good laugh with that one. But imagine little you know little Yves <laughs> it in, is,
0: in, it in 19, his house in France in
4: 1968. He's a kid. 19th century Bisson. He's a kid, and he's got his comic out, and he's reading the comic, and he says,
2: "I can not the way to the movie." No, we're
3: gonna cut that one.
2: Oh,
3: <laughs> no, you we will not <laughs> no, You're so strong and fast, he's a soldier <laughs> No No Papa Wait 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 Papa please
0: do not take my
3: Valorion book. No papa I want to be like uh, the Valerian <laughs> I do not want to work in the 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 mill
0: Stop that one, <laughs> and you like it.
3: You never
4: stop.
5: Well, so we're I sober.
4: Sure, I sure we're am glad, sober. I sure am glad that we ended on an odd-numbered episode. <laughs> <laughs> the it's apology episode will be the This reminds All me of the 39 game. episodes on Spotify. I think looking back. Even though the trilogy didn't end, I think, the way we all wanted it to, I kind of look back at all the Star Wars episodes as uh, being, you know, important. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool that organically and kind of in real time, like as the new trilogy came out, it all kind of coincided with milestones in our lives. And, you know, we kind of did the podcast and then we dropped it for a while. Everyone got busy. Then we picked it back up and it was kind of funny, but it always seemed to coincide with uh, a new Star Wars something or other when we kind of picked it back up and everyone was able to get together. So I always look forward to that and uh, look forward to kind of finishing out, um, you know, the, uh, the, the new trilogy, Um, like I said, didn't really end the way we necessarily wanted it to, but I always enjoyed kind of talking back through all that stuff with you guys, just because I think that's something we all share in common is that love for that universe. So those are always really special episodes to me. I was kind of reading some just like Lucas, you know, speculation and different things that he said over the years. And I think seven, eight, nine, if Lucas had directed them, it would have actually gone in a lot more of kind of a spiritual direction. I think it would have been focused on the force. It it would have wouldn't have been politics and it wouldn't have been what, you know, the original trilogy was as far as just kind of establishing that universe and those characters. I think it would have been to the root to the core of what the force is yeah yeah,
3: yeah i absolutely. couldn't agree more um i feel like yeah it's just a a staple of our podcast was always doing star wars in fact one time we gave it an entire month it was the month of star wars mm-hmm. which uh at the by the end of it i was like i'm fucking tired of star wars but uh, it was definitely worth
0: it I, I enjoyed it i feel like uh i feel like the outer worlds was peppered in there might have been I think it was in the middle of it. Like That's like the like last video one game week we did. Break. Yeah. That was the last video game one for a while. Because I didn't you guys cover The Last of Us 2? I think two, Jedi or Fallen Order.
2: Or no, Last of Us 2. Would oh, been. yeah. Fallen Order. No, wait. I don't think we ever... Did we cover... The, no, we covered The Last of Us 2 on...
3: Uh, yeah, it was on Patreon, Patreon,
0: right?
2: I don't think it ever made Caroline yeah, it. Caroline
3: was on it. Then I guess Fallen Order then would be the last one. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, yeah. One one. Sorry. One thing about the Valerian thing. I, I We've got that uh, video up on our TikTok. Yeah. Um, the um what what do you call that kind of
1: uh oh uh, kinetic typography animation?
0: yeah we've got we've got that on our tiktok and it just listening to that over and over cuz it's hilarious. I just realized how badly I like co-opted like Jason's like Jason was like trying to like say a real thing and I'm just like <laughs> just like 19th century Luke Fasson like just fucking I'm, just just get out of this get off the stage I'm I, I'm like
1: 75% <laughs> sure you were a bottle into something at that point and there was no yeah. There was nothing we were, that could stop you. We
2: were all trashed. No, wait. On I hard thought we were seltzer. all sober. No, because I remember I, I, I spit yeah. taped on a on I a, was, hard, on a nondescript hard seltzer.
3: Absolutely not sober during that episode. <laughs> mm. No, not you'd at have all. To, yeah. That was back Either when way, Jason way, Yeah. wanted to. Jason so it came with hilarity. Four, I, four I, hard I, seltzers I don't mean, and mean to. He would uh, crack uh, every single one of them before we did Oh, yeah. He would
1: line them up. Line up our nondescript hard seltzer and open up each of them.
2: Oh, I found a. I found our Star Wars month. It was Mandalorian episodes one through three, then Outer right. Worlds, but then the Star Wars retrospective, Rise of Skywalker first impressions as if it needed a second impression, Jedi Fallen Order, <laughs> no, Rise of Skywalker final thoughts. Oh, my God. I can't believe we talked for three hours on that crap. And Mandalorian season one.
0: Yeah. And then I think the next one was Underwater.
2: Underwater and then Valerian. Yep. Well, I remember Topical.
0: the, uh, the car ride
4: from, uh, right from the theater, because I think if I remember correctly, then we do rise of Skywalker like yeah. that. Night? First impressions like we, was that night. We went yeah, right the first to first impressions house. And I remember, uh, funny enough, going to the circle K trying to find some nondescript hard seltzers <laughs> and they didn't have any cold. So I was like, yeah. and then I so dejected, the episode. but uh, I think we still, we still gave it hell.
0: Yep. Yeah, we did. Uh, I, I and that that was the episode I went right home from edit from the recording at Bill's and edited that night. We got that up. That was the like quickest we've ever turned around.
2: We've had a couple of quick turnarounds. We did it for Tenet too. We did a day turnaround for Tenet. Did we? Yeah, we saw it. We saw it the for a Thursday night release and we turned it around for Friday. Oh, well, you uh, did. I
0: don't know what we're saying. We, yeah. <laughs> but you did. All well, right, I nice you know, well. with
2: with my with my leadership.
1: With my job, Miller, <laughs> You really accomplished that. Yeah. Yes,
3: behind every successful man is a successful blue editor. <laughs> I produced the fuck out of this show. Uh oh, you do a lot for this show to the point where none of us would be as driven as we are if you weren't there throwing things at us and Miller. Bowing. Yep. But Everything Ben is hill too,
1: that. yeah. Ben.
3: I Miller and Ben are the the dads of the podcast, double yeah, but dad. I'm like the full cool double dad. dad
0: like I'm like the dad who will like, yeah, you can have a beer, but uh not in the house and yeah, I'm you're, the, the... you're the you're the cool guy that will like
3: turn his chair around and then. Cool
0: guy, <laughs> sit down and backwards. It's okay,
3: cool guy. all right.
5: You can't call yourself the cool dad when Ben literally has colored hair.
3: Yeah, his hair is
0: literally blue. Sure, I'm not yeah, a regular but, um, dad.
2: I'm a cool dad. Yeah,
0: and... I look like um, I look right like Rob Halford okay. from uh, Judas <laughs> Priest.
3: <laughs> I'm cool. I got I got a leather hat in my in my my, my fucking desk drawer. I
5: always wondered why Bill oh. called you the Gallop. <laughs>
3: Dead joke. <laughs> Alright, let's go. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> uh, we got Mark. Alright, Mark, back to you. <laughs> episode 100. What What are you thinking back to, my man?
5: Ah, uh, oh, man. Well, one of my favorite jokes that we haven't talked about so far is uh, Little Billy Jarvis. That oh, one always oh, <laughs>
0: sticks out to me. I will never forget that. Uh, that but, episode doesn't exist. Oh, man. I, uh, we got a letter earlier this week from... Uh, Little Billy Jarvis, age twenty-nine. Little Billy Jarvis writes.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello,
5: sirs. My, honestly, like I, I was kind of planning on talking about similar to what where Jason went. Uh, the the birth and rebirth of our of this podcast were predicated on the new trilogy, and those episodes are always. So meaningful to me, and especially the first one, we we didn't have anything down. We were really just talking about our likes and
3: dislikes and chatting, recording on a fucking Zoom <laughs> mic in, on a coffee table with, we with like classic. nine guys. <laughs> oh
5: my god! Um, all of us just like basically hammered at the end of it. Like oh. yeah. But but we had so much fun, and and, uh, there were there were yeah right, there were a lot of good good laughs came out of that, and the the Planet Ireland one always kills me. I just (laughs) all the bust ups in those first couple episodes, like oh god,
3: I'm thinking of all the the random Star Wars lines of (laughs) baby yogurt from the planet (laughs) Choban, John John Yoda, John, John Yoda. (laughs) John, John Yoda. Oh man, that is good. I uh oh I don't you guys said like a lot of my my favorites, but there's always an episode I think back to. And that's when we did the uh uh 2036 Origin Unknown. And I literally was like, oh, we're gonna watch this movie. It's a Katie Sackoff sci-fi movie, you know, really, really far under the radar. This will be perfect for our podcast. We all watched it, we got together. <laughs> I just remember the cold open was Jason going 2036 is if moon was bad. <laughs> <That just starts laughs> the- I, was like, I always just think back to that cold open. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: actu- yeah, It's actually radical to me that you bring up 2036 on origin unknown because I thought of it today.
3: Yes. I was like, oh, that because is so I was appropriate. Like, oh, for this- it's a
2: 2001 rip off. Now yep. I know. Oh, you didn't know that? No, I mean, well, I'd never seen 2001, but we're oh, about right. that. Oh, that's
3: right. Okay, okay. All right. Um, well, I like this little uh, reflection back onto yeah. our 100 episodes of Sci-Fi Cross Sections. Yeah. Hey, and here's the 100 more. Yeah, mm, nondescript seltzer cheer. Hoosah, uh, I'm drinking No, <laughs> you're drinking what? I'm drinking... Uh, Silver Mountain Can. He's taking a trip That's to right. the Rockies. Silver Mountain Can. Yep.
2: And if Silver Mountain Can wants us to say their name on this cast again, you can pay us money.
3: You're damn right. All right. So, as I said before, we are here tonight to talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, 2001 was written and directed by Stanley Kubrick, but also written by Arthur C. Clark. We're going to get into that later. Uh, produced by Stanley Kubrick <laughs> screenplay by no I'm just kidding um, probably yes. edited
2: by Stanley Kubrick despite whoever it says edits it
3: Ray Lovejoy where he got yeah, the name it was, of Dr. Then it Lovejoy was, it, from
2: it definitely edited by Stanley Kubrick <laughs> I,
3: I bet you 100% that's where he got the name Lovejoy from
0: yeah, pseudonym Stanley Kubrick
3: <laughs> okay um, oh boy you guys want to know a budget
0: I hundred million dollars,
3: somewhere, but oh, you, yeah. Let's do a little guessy game. So I'm sure half of you have the uh, page open already, and you can see it. Hundo
0: milli for me.
3: I want you to. I want you to know that this was. This like was made what, in 19, 1968, 1960s. Yeah. this came out. The first Hundo
2: 100 billion. million dollar movie was like The Matrix or something.
1: I'm gonna say a cool. Twelve million. Thanks. Europe. Six million. <laughs> six million? All
3: right. Final offer. That's six it is. Okay. Well, if no one else wants to guess. Um, well, fun fact
2: the first $100 yeah, million dollar movie was True Lies.
1: Holy shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I remember they had to actually rent a plane, like the jet.
0: Sorry to interrupt with that. Realize, realize, real realize. Lies. That was a,
5: I mean, that was worth the interruption.
3: All right, Mark, do you want to take a guess what the budget was?
5: I'm going to guess 400 million yen.
3: 400 million yen. I'm not going to do the math right
0: now. (laughs) Mark, no, that's
3: $4 million. (laughs) Okay, so uh, Bill was actually correct. It's between 10.5 and 12 million dollars. A little, little, wow. little bit short of hundred mil, but
0: uh, the Fuck fucking you, box office
3: was 146 million. Wow, wow.
0: Jesus! No, they got four dollars from me today. So with old
3: old movies like this, I always want to put that little caveat in there that um, movies used to be in theaters for like years. <laughs> it was, it wasn't like a, a like a six week run. Okay. They're, they're in theaters for years and then it like leaves and then it comes back and then it leaves and then it comes back. So um,
2: it used to be all about whatever the theater wanted to you know to bring in because yeah. it wasn't all chains back then.
3: Yeah, so um, but that's still mightily fucking impressive and that I think goes to show that how important this movie is. Okay Agreed. So Ben, was this planned to be our 100th episode, or did it just happen to be so appropriate?
2: Uh I think I've kind of always wanted it to be our 100th, at least since, like, episode 50. I realized we could probably do that, because it just seemed right. Like, this is, like, kind of the seminal sci-fi film of our time. Like, people will argue Metropolises, but, like... <clears throat> I think that this really kind of—I mean, look at it. I never, I never knew, I never realized. I've seen a lot of Kubrick in my life because I was forced to in college, but not that I, I'm upset with that. But uh, I, this is one that's always skated by me, and I've never seen it. And uh, when you, yeah, I never realized like how influential it was on everything we've done. Everything, like every good sci-fi film, pulls something from this now. Like you could tell. Yeah so
5: sometimes well, you get those key. those classics and you're just like eh, they're the classics like I, th- I think i've gotten the gist from just absorption of pop culture and all the uh, homages and cam or not cameos but you know what i mean like sometimes you you feel like you've gotten the the gist of it to a point where you don't really need to watch it and then you watch it and you realize immediately the mistake you've made yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely
1: i think i think i went through the same thing you went through ben i mean i do think that this shouldn't have been the 100th episode i think this should have been the 2001st episode I agree, but, but we'll i didn't want to it be, later i didn't want to gamble um, that <laughs> um <laughs> but uh gamble. i think that uh yeah it's a lot of episodes turns a like lot of weeks quad
0: weekly podcast mm, um, exactly
1: yeah Bill, miller get can you really work in that <laughs> turnaround time i'm in any bigger um, pot of coffee Actually, it's really funny you said like because you see the influence that it had on you. Know, honestly, I thought this movie came out in the late seventies, and then I saw it, and it came out in the late sixties, and I was like, "Holy!" It shit. came out
2: before we landed on the moon.
1: Exactly, and so I'm like, "Holy shit!" He did all of this stuff, and I'm like, "That's amazing! Like that was so visionary. It's so interesting to see that." Um, and then uh, and actually, it's really funny. So when they do the the long shot of the, you know... Uh, I forget what it's called. Discovery. Is that what it's called? Uh, of the Discovery flying by the screen. And it's like a good 60 seconds of just the thing flying by and then i realized oh this is this is what Spaceballs is making fun of
2: well <laughs> I, I think Spaceballs is also making fun of the shot of the star destroyer star destroyer in a new hope but mm-hmm. if that's the case then the star destroyer from a new hope shot is actually just inspired by the discovery shot so oh, either way
3: 100 open he was he was inspired by this movie oh yeah because oh, he's definitely. after no, kubrick no, he was the only other one to actually like hit with that much like detail in a in a sci-fi movie so um jason you were gonna say something but like three other people talked so
4: no i was just actually gonna kind of riff off of that um you know kind of reading some articles on the influence in the movie i mean we all know right like this is this is kind of the the origin of a lot of kind of what would become what would influence us and what we'd watch and what we spent, you know, the last few years kind of covering. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I've brought it up on a few other casts as we've kind of gone, but like when you see something that serves as like the inspiration for kind of what all this other stuff would become, it's kind of jarring in a way because, you know, I hadn't seen 2001 in many years and, uh, we have consumed so much media and seen, you know, so many things that kind of use it as a, a jumping off point point it's crazy when you go back and you see like the original and then you're, you know, you, it kind of hits you again. You think like, well, yeah, but they just did a version of that, <laughs> you know, like that was, that was the first time that was done. And I think kind of to, to to round out like the conversation we're having about like the George Lucases of the world and kind of what they would go on to do after 2001 would come out. I forget in the interview, if it was Lucas or Spielberg, but they basically said that, 2001 was like the big bang of their generation of filmmakers. Like it was, you know, to use a, a space reference or a physics reference, like it was what kind of led a lot of these filmmakers of that era to realize, Hey, we can do anything. You know, there are no limits. And I just think it's kind of interesting that it really is kind of serves as that cultural touchstone.
3: <clears throat> yeah. I mean, the 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 fun thing about this movie is it's not just a generational thing though like library of congress even said like what what is their staple they always put like this is artistically and aesthetically like a summation of like what the future needs to understand about our culture as you know whatever humans like they put that in their library for that reason and and you know critically it was, like, 50-50 when it first came out. There were people that praised it, that that was the greatest fucking thing ever to happen to the world. On the other side, a lot of people are like, this movie's fucking dull, and it sucks. And there are some criticisms that are valid. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Arthur C. Clarke wrote a very messy ending to a movie. Not, Not to, like, jump too far ahead, but... I mean, there's a quote by Arthur C. Clarke, and he's like, because, okay, so another sci-fi author actually took uh, 2001 and wrote his own book, but with a better ending, essentially. He just you know changed the names and all the stuff, but for the most part, it was kind of the same plot, and Arthur C. Clarke even admitted that that's a better ending, but his ending made more money, <laughs> which I feel is very Hollywood. <laughs>
2: That's, that's funny. That's super.
1: That's, that's, that's sci-fi in a
3: nutshell. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but see, okay, so you said this was sci-fi. So what they want to point out is this was the first proof that you can spend a ridiculous amount of money on a sci-fi movie and you will get your money back. People will watch it. That's what I think was probably the biggest thing about this movie. That's what was huge about it. Personally, this is what spawned people spending a lot of money on sci-fi. Even though they still don't make their money back to this day. <clears throat> I don't know.
2: I I think it's I think when it all comes, what it all comes back to is it's proof behind what you need. It's the recipe. This is the recipe. And the problem with a lot of sci-fi right now is that a lot of these filmmakers are not Stanley Kubrick at the end of the day. You've got to remember that you know it did well for being a cool epic sci-fi but it also did well because it had Stanley Kubrick's name plastered on it and while he wasn't the household name that he became you know after by the 80s i'd say you know he was still elevated as the auteur that he that we consider him now among the film snobs and among you know the hollywood lovers and I think that has a lot to do with it. It's the it's the fact that, you know, you may have a Kubrick level idea, but there's you're missing one really important factor, and it sucks that we have to that I I have to say it like this. But you're missing one very important factor, which is you're not Stanley Kubrick, you are a so and so nobody, and no one cares about your big brain idea because you haven't made them care. And that's sorry. I, I one more thing that that's always something that like. You know, me as a writer, there is other writers will say this to other writers in like workshops and things like that. It's kind of uh, it seems harsh, but it's a reminder. It's a reminder about what we do. No one cares about what you what you write. No one cares about the movie you make. No one cares. And they never will care unless you make them care. So that's the point. You would never say the last part, but that's the point is that you have to make them care and Stanley Kubrick made people care he's an he was a nut he was problematic, but he made people care he's He still stands to this day to be one of the only artists to ever hit Hollywood in my opinion so
1: i I was just going to say it's like. But um, you can have this big brain idea, but you're not willing to destroy human lives to make a movie. So... Yes. <laughs> like, that guy was... That guy is brutal. He was brutal. Yeah. Throughout tonight, I will be uh,
2: speaking very highly of Stanley Kubrick. As a creative artist, as a person, Stanley Kubrick was a horrible person. Uh, and... You know, Mm -hmm. it was not someone to be admired in the professional workplace in the 21st century. Uh, The dude would get slapped with so many SAG fines it wouldn't even be funny. So, uh, Mm -hmm.
1: you know. He he was the reason that the SAG (laughs) regulations were made. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, to to riff off that, so like I
4: know uh, we've talked about it in the past. um, So like the whole kind of auteur you know, uh, way of creating a film or, or really of anything. I think like that's really what hit me upon my reviewing of 2001 yesterday because I'm a huge Kubrick fan. Um, I love, you know, like his take on the shining and really all of his films, but like I kind of love the, uh, I don't know if I ever talked to you guys about it, but that room 237 documentary, I don't know if anyone's familiar with it. Yeah, But really interesting, it was basically just, you know, interviews with a bunch of nutty people that have these like really deep theories on what that film meant, you know, and, and I've read a lot of kind of similar um, thoughts and like think pieces on 2001. But to me, it, it kind of goes back to what Ben said, and and I totally agree, like just someone who as an artist or as a creator has that sense of vision, I feel like is is pretty unparalleled in today's. Art world, or regardless of what the medium is, um, so I think to see that and just to see that purity of vision that he, uh, I think, kind of established early on in his filmmaking career, and which really I feel like kind of came to a head with 2001. Like, j- just to to think of you know those images conjured in his you know mind and, and him knowing exactly where he wanted to go with it, what he wanted to do, um, all the you know trial and error and uh, just design that it, it takes to kind of the wherewithal really to be able to, to do that and kind of pull that off. I just think is really impressive. And, and we don't really have any analogs to that today. So, um, it kind of a lost, a lost era in filmmaking and not to say there aren't things out there, but how much art that's being created today is going to be scrutinized the same way in 50 years or hold up the same way in 50 years from now.
2: There's a power in what he says and does, uh, and as a result, it's the way he crafts his films, the way he has that precise control. And and I'd have to admit, like we can't fully understand the power he had in 68 compared to the power he has now because now there's a myth around him. Now there's the story of 153 takes and Eyes Wide Shut. Now there's the story about uh, torturing Shelley Duvall on in The Shining, there's this creation myth around him that gives him the power. He no longer needs to demand it; he just has it. But he had to have it then too. So at the time, you know that power was still there, just sans myth, right? And so, uh, I, there's just there's just something about it, some artistic, unexpressible quality that makes you drop everything and pay attention. And there's all it always has been with him, no matter what yeah. movie he does. No matter what game.
3: genre he does, mm-hmm. there's always something. Yeah. I would agree.
2: And I think uh, it, what it might be is his it's his personality. It's who he is as a person is in these films. It's not he's not here to to tell to like give you a theme. He's not here to to you know He's here to tell a story and put a piece of himself into it. And I think that's really the quality that's there. The, that hidden, inexpressible quality is Kubrick. You know, it's the ultimate form of an artist, right? Like, when you look at a painting, you can feel the anguish in someone's painting. But when you watch a Kubrick film, you can feel the passion in the story he's telling. I think that's something. I think there's something there.
5: <clears throat> yeah, you you don't have that level of detail without there being passion behind it.
2: That is true. So, the movie.
3: Yeah, what about it? I'll tell well, I you. I really liked it. Oh guys. yeah, that's
2: right.
5: Wait, did you give a synopsis?
2: Oh, I did yeah, it. Yeah, can you tell us what yeah, this movie is
1: about? That's why I thought you were leading into
3: what the movie is about.
1: I forgot. Welcome to the two-hour
3: episode. <laughs> I oh, I it's gonna you. be. I, I don't know that. nothing less. <clears throat> Mark, poor Mark. He's been up since 3.30 a.m. I canceled
1: a date for this. <laughs> Alright. Sure, Bill. I saw you sweaty. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you screenshots.
2: After a mysterious monolith is unearthed by humanity in the distant future of 2001, it broadcasts a radio signal toward Jupiter, which prompts a joint mission between man and machine to investigate. But when the ship's AI, HAL 9000, possibly makes an error, it begins to fight for its life after learning it may be disconnected. Two thousand and one space obviously turn 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 turn
3: oh
2: dun dun.
0: turn turn turn
3: turn <laughs> so, it has been it has been years, fucking years, actually, I could say at this point, decades, since I've seen this fucking movie, I 100% forgot about the entire beginning with the apes and the yelling and the monolith. The first 25 minutes of the movie. Yeah, See, it's I forgot that's, all about it. There's a lot of things I forgot about this movie, by the way, I will say that much, but...
2: That's hilarious because I've never seen the movie, and that's what I know the most of this movie. <laughs>
3: really? So it's
2: it's it's the ape stuff, and then I I am afraid I can't do that, Dave. Like that's all I knew about this movie. Well, going so on.
3: that's the thing is my big takeaway when I was younger was Hal, bro, scared the fuck out of me, but he plays an important role, but it's not as critical as I remembered. You know, there there's more. Besides that, so
1: yeah he was really only yeah. in one act of the entire thing if, if you think of it in three acts, so he's
4: yeah, that was kind of what came back for me upon rewatching it is like the the visionettes you know or vignettes like just the way that the the film was broken up or the uh the structure of it because I think for whatever reason i Assumed differently, just because it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, so it was interesting how broken up it actually was. Yeah,
2: I I was a little thrown for a loop. I, I I knew it wasn't like a a straight story going into it. I knew it wasn't that, but I didn't expect it to be as chopped up as it was. Um, but it's it's really not like it's not as chopped up as it seems. It all like I it, it all revolves around this monolith and. I think Hal was, it's, I'm really interested in this because if the world had been a little different, if I had seen this movie earlier in my lifetime, I think my opinion on artificial intelligence and and sentient robots and things would be quite different because I found myself like aching for Hal through this. And I, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but it was so it was so sad to me, like, his whole thing. Never once, it, I, I always assumed Hal was, like, this, like, mal- like malignant, evil, like, out-to-destroy-humanity out to type of villain based on how everyone's always talked about him. And that's not the case at all. He just is afraid of dying, and he finds out that just because he made a mistake, he is going to be disconnected. And he does what any irrational person would do, which is react emotionally and and act towards self-preservation. And it it blows up in his face. It doesn't work. But I was like, oh my god! Like, and then and then Dave tells him to sing of the song, and I was like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ! This is look at the flowers. That's what that was. It was just it. it it was it was very sad, and I was not expecting that. I was not expecting such a sad villain in Hal.
1: Tell me about the bunnies, Hal. Yeah, I uh, no, I I I agree. It's um honestly, there's, I'll 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 admit to you guys, I I read a lot online about it after I was done because I was just had so many questions and I just didn't I don't know, didn't get a lot of it. Like there's there's three monoliths. Yes. In this in this movie there's there's the one that sparked humanity there's the one that was basically the burglar alarm for the space for space which was humans reach the moon send a signal to Jupiter that was the like screechy noise right yeah and then that activated the monolith revolving around or uh, orbiting Jupiter I didn't get I don't know maybe I'm, I'm really really dumb what? <laughs> like,
0: I'm trying Wait, to figure so, it out so <laughs> no dude I didn't get that either
4: about the monoliths? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't fully catch it. Okay, so,
0: so, so check yeah, it I out. I never realized they were transmitting radio waves. Yeah,
4: so, I mean, that's kind of the whole idea is that after that first monolith that kind of is at the, the dawn of man, right? It's their goalposts basically for uh, evolution. So, yeah. you know, mankind can get to the moon. And then, OK, you know, we'll wait till mankind can get to Jupiter, too. Then that's when they, you know, pass through the Stargate. And then at that point, you know, that's when uh, man arguably
3: up and,
4: <laughs> you know, can, either going to be reborn, become the quote unquote Ubermensch, or are we going to destroy ourselves?
1: Right. I And I I, I see I was and I didn't come up with that original thought. I, lo- I looked it up online and I saw all of that. And I was just like, oh, wow, there is like... And then when once I got that sort of idea, it started unraveling for me. And it's the weird thing about Stanley Kubrick films is that you're like, you get one thing and you're like, oh, okay, and then it starts unraveling. Like, And I feel like Kubrick is one of those people that... Um, one of those directors that does art, um, arts interpretation by the audience. So he'll have a basic surface-level idea Of what he's trying to say maybe there's some sort of little message there but then there's so many millions of other things that he's not gonna tell you he's just gonna be like well you guys got to figure it out because you're the audience this is what it means to you it's like the reverse Nolan
5: yeah where you're like "Wow, there's there's a lot here it's like and you're like wait but what about this plot hole wait and then wait there's a plot hole over here too. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm not gonna answer these questions for you guys. <laughs> and, and Jason,
3: you've been gone for so long. I just wanna apologize, but this podcast exclusively does not like Christopher Nolan anymore. <laughs> Tenet Tenet literally just killed him.
2: Uh yes. Uh did you see Tenet, Jason? Just off topic?
4: No, I have not, guys. I'm I'm way right, hey, you. hey,
2: don't, man. I, I like that you <laughs> like someone yeah, and, and I don't ever want you to ruin it. Uh it's it's garbage. Um, okay. I, I did want to say really quick to Bill's point. He, I don't think he, he has hidden themes that he wants people to find out though. I don't think Kubrick is that kind of artist. I think he made something that is meaningful to him and it has meaning for him. But then that's where, where he's like, I'm not going to talk about it. That's where it comes in the case where it's like, I'm not going to talk about what it means to me because it doesn't matter what it means to me. It matters what means to you. And that's, That's art in its purest form.
1: Right, right. But yeah. he. Well, so many people try to find the history of of an art piece, and they try to find the artist's intention of an art piece, but Stanley was very much the opposite. He was just like, I don't want that. I don't want people trying to figure out what I was trying to do. I want you to feel something. I want you to have a response, and if you have a response, it'll mean something to you.
3: I kind of want to rein in the convo here a little bit, because we're talking a lot about uh, Kubrick here, but... I also want to point out the fact that this movie was written by Arthur C. Clarke, who is a, uh, very well-known, you know, science fiction author from the, uh, well, second half of the 20th century really. Um, and he was actually approached. So, um, they had a mutual acquaintance, you know, cause Kubrick expressed interest in the early sixties about wanting to do a, Basically, a movie about aliens. That was what he wanted to do. He was just very interested in aliens, um, and a mutual acquaintance actually uh, put them together. They actually sent like letters to each other, expressing their interest. Uh, they actually insulted each other. Um, oh no, it's really interesting. Okay, so <laughs> I'll actually just take a moment to uh, to pull this one up. But that uh, mutual acquaintance was Timothy Larry. Okay, so I'm going to read this. Searching for a collaborator in science fiction community for the writing of the script, Kubrick was advised by a mutual acquaintance, uh, Columbia Picture Staff Roger Carras, to talk to writer Arthur C. Clarke. Although convinced that Clarke was a recluse, a nut who lives in a tree, Kubrick allowed Carras to cable <laughs> the film proposal to Clarke. Clarke's cabled response stated... He was frightfully interested in working with that enfant terrible, which essentially means a uh, it's a it's a French expression for a child who is terrifyingly candid and saying embarrassingly things. Uh, but yeah, so essentially they they insulted each other and they ended up making this movie together. So
2: that sounds like what it's like to work with Stanley Kubrick.
3: <laughs> and probably Arthur C. Clarke. So
2: um, I don't know much about him, but yeah, probably. Well,
3: so I I'm ashamed to say, as being the sci-fi boy, you know, I want to do this podcast. I've only read one thing by Arthur C. Clarke. So
2: I've uh, read the short story for this.
3: No, I actually the only one I read thing I read by him was uh, the Sentinel, which is actually what was part of the inspiration for the story for this movie.
2: Well, there's a there's a 2001. 2001- Short story as well I think it's called The Monolith
3: oh, no, no but he pulled From a lot of his Short stories Oh gotcha He took the story From a lot of them To make this Because the Sentinel Also deals with That concept If
2: if I remember correctly The short story That he wrote That is specifically This uh, Was the The moon scene Where they They go to Examine the monolith On the moon Yes
3: Yep Yeah So um, It's been a long time I mean, Which is a great
5: scene. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I love the... Just the stillness and the waiting that they... Ah, man. I don't know. When a scene does... When a scene breathes really really well, it, it lends so much to the atmosphere and suspense.
3: I mean, I feel like that's what Kubrick does best, so... He could do more with a still image and, like, no score than somebody can with a Transformers budget. I mean, (laughs) it's insane. But, yeah, so I I definitely wanted to pull, because we didn't really talk about him at all, but uh, Arthur C. Clarke is responsible for the story here. Yeah, he collaborated with Kubrick, but they actually spent years. Like, this pre-production was, like, four years in the making. For, at the time, that's a lot. Because Hollywood pushed out movies like they were going out of style, like so, um, and th- they went to a lot of, I guess, <clears throat> extremes. Because Kubrick was heavily inspired by like promotional videos for like NASA and uh, a few other things, um, like to do with like the World's Fair and stuff, and that's where they got like the aesthetic for all of the. The technology and the ships and everything was coming from these things that, uh, and this is I think what separates other sci-fi movies from 2001 is they were trying to go for a more realistic approach to a lot of things. Because sci-fi was not realistic at this time; it was everyone Flash in, Gordon, yeah, everyone's in like sparkly, spangly outfits, and there's space yeah, fantasy. There's a lot of tinfoil going around, and yeah, tinfoil. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I Stanley, I
1: don't appreciate how people in space were leaning on chairs. Didn't like that. Mm. Didn't like that one bit. Nobody should be leaning on chairs. What are you leaning? You know at? what? You know there's what? No though the, 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 <laughs> you know you can nitpick all you want, but damn, he did a lot. Like he, dude, he
2: fucking was so filmed the moon landings.
3: Come on, this guy did snow. everything. There's so much.
1: <laughs> it's true. He was pretty out. good at that. He um. No, this is okay. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say. Um, I in my mind, and I think everybody does. When you watch two thousand one now compared to nineteen sixty eight, there's a lot of stuff we take for granted that was just like almost seen as impossible back then. So yeah, we me,
5: uh, Callan and I were talking about the the uh, especially in the beginning with all the transportation from Earth to the Moon. Or to the station and then to the moon. Uh, the 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 use of models was very Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, in well, like incredibly Star so. Wars
3: Star Wars is very two thousand one. Yeah, yes. Yeah.
5: Well, I just mean, you know, that's my baseline there. Yeah, no, and true. and seeing seeing that it was, you know, it was almost like they captured scenes from Star Wars and clip them into you know what we were watching just in the middle of 2001 it was yeah, it was like to that extent the, the the look of the models and the painting and the the uh, non pristine you know yeah you, you got you gotta add some some wear in there the wear and tear everything it just looked it looked so Star Wars model
3: esque yeah, and that, that all pulls back to, um, or that reminds me of how we said, like, Lucas in that entire generation was inspired by Kubrick, but I would say Lucas more so than any of the rest of them, because uh, he brought that technicality to everything, and with how how much detail was going into those ships and everything, all of it. Like the model work on Star Wars is like the benchmark, but before Star Wars, it was two thousand one. So, um, so there is some other movies that I was watching this, and some of them are very on the nose. Like uh, we, we Ben, you mentioned that you were thinking of twenty thirty six when you watched this. Yeah, and that's a very the ending specifically very, specific very like. terrible rip off to um, two thousand one, but also uh, Moon. I think is a a great, great nod to it with uh, what was the name of of uh, Kevin Spacey's character? Hal Nine Thousand One. I forget. <laughs> was it <laughs> Miller? Do you have the voice in you today? i <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I'm Hal Nine Thousand and One. Sam, <laughs> you have to go to the moon, Sam. <laughs> When are you going to the yes. moon? Why haven't you been to the moon yet? When are you going to Sam. the moon, Sam?
3: <laughs> okay. Um.
0: And so on. So, please. The moon.
3: Um, <laughs> no, but... Uh, so, I always think of that because that is 100% uh, a ripoff of HAL. like, But in a good way. I think it was, Moon was a good homage to 2001.
2: Well, were there any robot helpers before HAL? Like, I think all... All creepy sci fi robot helpers are like Hal is daddy.
0: I think you're th- missing one little robot named Rosie on the Jetsons. Oh, sure. Fair enough. <laughs>
1: Thank you. That's exactly the one I thought of. That
0: well, is the on one now. I thought Let's of. Well, hang on now. Let's
1: check the Jetsons
2: and when it came out.
0: I think you're missing a little robot called the Aggressive Menace. From I have no mouth and I must scream. You know, who, you know, oh shit! The Jetsons was 1962. Of, uh, the Jetsons. Yep. Ben. Yep. Yep. Oh shit! Was fact, so, that was the inspiration yeah, for Stanley Kubrick
3: wanting to do. <laughs> it,
2: if 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 Hal is Daddy, then Rosie is Mommy.
3: But Mommy's like a lot older than Daddy, so it's like weird. Um, what, six years. Sometimes moms are older, mm-hmm.
0: dude. That's that's Robin the
2: cradle. Uh,
3: no, but uh, so there's one other movie that I kept thinking of during this. And I don't know if anybody else had this experience, but I kept thinking of Dad Astra.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Uh, Uh, I would say there was so much, and I didn't realize it before because obviously I haven't watched uh, 2001 in, as I said, decades. But there is so much that they took from 2001 uh, in terms of like aesthetic and I guess just general like tone and feel of like a scene. I don't know if those are fucking filmmaker terms, but that. I was getting that in so many ways that I didn't experience before. So,
4: Well, I think that was part of the reason why we liked that movie so much uh, when it first came out and we talked about it, I think at length, you know, it was definitely a movie that kind of um, hemmed a little bit closer to that kind of art house, old school sci-fi. Um, and I think, you know, it, it gave off those 2001 vibes, Yeah. you know, it, it would be what another probably year and a half until I would rewatch 2001, but I totally was going back to that uh, last night when I was watching 2001 is, you know, very similar kind of in terms of the journey and a lot about what it's trying to say, but just in a more contemporary way, Uh, having had the last 50 years to kind of, you know, of history to kind of go on. So obviously it's going to be different, but, uh, but totally. Yeah. And I think, like I said, it it does, it, it honors that tradition. And I think that was, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that was one of the reasons we, at least I can say, I enjoyed that movie as much as I did. I think we all did, too, because I think we subconsciously were picking up on that.
3: Um, well, the, so the thing about Ad Astra for me was it has, like, the aesthetic of 2001, but it's telling the story of, like, um, Apocalypse Now. Like, that's why I love it so much. Space is, Cowboys. Is space, yeah, Space, space Cowboys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did we say it's a sequel to Space Cowboys? Because 100%
1: is.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I forgot that movie exists. Can we do that, Ben? Can we put that on the schedule for like next year or something? 200, episode 200. Yeah. (laughs) That's Tommy Lee Jones, (laughs) right? Intimacy with a tight cast, too. Uh. Yeah. Oh, God. Donald Sutherland. It's got a lot of fucking names in that. Okay. Um. But yeah, no, so though that was like the last of the three movies I was thinking of the entire time I was watching this latest run through of 2001 was uh, Sad, Dad, Ad Astra. Which I want to go back and watch again, but I want to like put as much distance as I can between the last time I watched it, you know? Yeah, me too. I want to be wowed a second time.
0: In a yeah. Way. I have watched uh, Ad Astra a second time and it, it holds up. It's still really good upon second viewing. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear it.
5: Yeah, Dad Pitt did did a
0: good
3: job. Um, So uh, another thing we would touch upon here, um, I don't know if you guys want to talk more about themes, which we we definitely can because that ending, there's a lot there. But um, I also want to talk about the score a little bit.
2: Yeah, that was cool.
3: It was cool, and I was uncomfortable the entire time.
2: (laughs) Is is there something we've watched recently that's had the...
3: Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It was the 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 TV show oh uh, that was, it was FX, was it? Devs. Devs, that was it. So that's Devs what it, it was. I was somewhere. like,
2: there's something that did this too, they, uh, they or did this after the, inspired by They
4: actually it. used that in Godzilla, the Gareth Edwards Godzilla for when they did the uh Halo jump. They used the it was the exact same piece, classical piece. Um, wow. because I remember hearing that in the first Godzilla trailer. Cause that was the, uh, the first one that came out and, uh, I was like blown away and I didn't put a and B together until last night. Cause I, I just thought that was such a cool piece of music and just like totally eerie and fit the
2: vibe. And then I heard it and it was like, Oh shit. And it just all clicked. I think it's in midsummer too. Hmm. I, be- I believe it's in oh. midsummer at
3: the cliff. I think you're, right well there's something there there's that weird the the quieter. like
5: overlaid dissonance it's oof yeah and, okay. and and listening to it in 5.1 surround sound <laughs> yeah. it was something else holy shit
2: does anyone know what that song is called
5: no i wanted to look it
2: up oh, actually
4: because i think it's super
3: cool <laughs> uh, probably <laughs> probably oh Ben's gonna go into like a weird fucking hole someday. Well, I have I have the we're soundtrack. The, list we're gonna open here. the door to his house, and he's gonna be sitting like butt ass naked on the living room floor, just like hugging his <laughs> yeah, knees. THX well, I have the soundtrack. THX.
2: Sa- th- th- the soundtrack list here, and it could be six songs. It's it's either also Sprock Zara. Nostra, no. which I don't think it is. I think that's, that's the, the intro. Dun, dun,
0: dun. Uh, the spoken dark. No, that's the spoken there. Uh, uh, yeah, requiem the for soprano, mezzo
2: soprano, two mixed choirs, and orchestra. Gotta love those those orchestra titles. Lux Eterna. The Blue Danube. No.
0: <laughs> nope.
2: Gay Ann ballets. Lou Danube's You know.
0: Dun, 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 and
2: atmosphere. It is.
0: If anything, that sounds like it's probably what it is. But uh Andrew, play play the song.
1: We don't. <clears throat> we don't need to play it. We need to say.
0: Sing... <sighs> okay. Um, so they knew what they were getting into with that one. Um, Dolby Digital inside. <laughs>
1: There we go. Did you know that was the same sound? Yeah.
0: Yep. Nope. I recorded. Hey, it's it.
1: Atmospheres. I'm listening to
2: it. Got
0: it. Good <laughs> to know. It's Ampharos. Good to right. Know. This is. I'm gonna listen to that when I go to. Sleep. Oh, Ben! Ben's crying. Ben's crying.
2: <laughs>
0: He's going out to his car. He's starting his car. He's driving away. Oh, that was a good moment too. I loved that moment.
2: He's,
3: He's drawing, drawing his, his face on his a great Moment on the podcast. <laughs> it just so happens that we have.
0: Todd Howard, get out of here, you old bastard. So is Todd Howard still at Bethesda? I'm sorry. He's the king of Bethesda, yeah. Dude, he's dead. At what point does Microsoft just go... All the right, that's Todd Howard. That's an... No, 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 it's, it's uh, they, they're owned by somebody else now. Can... No, Bethesda just got bought by Microsoft. I wish I did.
3: <laughs> well, you're in luck, because Todd Howard's here to buy you! Hey. Hey. Can we
5: uh talk about two thousand one Space Odyssey and the Simpsons? Oh man. So
0: I, I can't Mark I c- really just wanted me to talk on the podcast I because uh, <laughs> I <can't. laughs> he's like, Huh, oh, Miller hasn't said anything in a long time. I bet this'll get him going I can't go down this road. The Simpsons make so many goddamn two thousand one references. It's insane.
4: Oh, <laughs> Pippin. Pippin just
0: replaced Bill hey, on the podcast. Bill's a dog now. <laughs> Wait, was Pippin there? Yeah. Oh, that's great. He's an idiot. Um, Yeah. The I mean, the potato that, chip I mean, scene. God, uh, oh, the potato chip scene in. Um, in the, uh, the Homer Goes to Space, uh, Deep Space Homer episode. The, well, there he's floating around and the, the Blue Danube Waltz is going and the chips are flying all, he opens a bag of chips to which they made Buzz Aldrin say, be careful, they're ruffled. <laughs> Buzz Aldrin's never eaten ruffled potato chips in his life. <laughs> I'd be surprised if Buzz Aldrin knows what a potato chip is. but uh that episode also ends with um with the uh the space baby bart throws the marker up into the air like the uh the ape throws the tapir bone into the sky and it morphs into uh, a satellite which hits like homer is like the space baby on the head and turns into a fox satellite (laughs) i remember that though
2: that seems like as good a segue as any into the space
3: baby well yes i want to get there now yeah (laughs) <laughs> well, not just a space baby, but I actually kind of want to get to look. What do you guys think the What do you think the thesis of this movie is? What is Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke trying to say? I reject that. Okay, moving on. We, we
2: said earl- We said earlier that it doesn't matter what he's trying to say, and Kubrick has always been that man. He doesn't, you know, the people. Jason referenced like Room Two Thirty Seven earlier, like the people who try and like decrypt. Kubrick's movies are nuts you can't the point is how does it make you feel what is Clark Clark is the same way how does it make you feel they are two people you know uh Kubrick is someone who believes that film is visceral and Clark is someone who believes sci-fi is visceral um and as a result that you know that ending happens that ending which is a sensory overload which either fascinates you terrifies you excites you upsets you or a little bit of everything that's the point they, you know they want it's all everything in the movie is only a build up for those for those final 10 minutes
3: so i mean i this might be a real simple opinion or view on uh What the movie was about. This, honestly, the big takeaway for me. This is what I took was. uh, Human evolution does not stop at Earth. Our future lies in the stars. It always has. And I honestly, at least this this is what I I thought they were trying to convey is, um, we're not done evolving here, like on Earth, like we we're going to take it one step further, or multiple steps further, whatever, um, going forward. But it's going to be in space. We're done evolving on this planet. We've reached our final form here. We have to go out there to reach the next... the next step. Essentially. See, I don't know. I, I've i always thought
5: space travel was a fascinating concept, but... Uh, humans have turned earth into a, a big dumpster fire. So I like the older I get, the more I think the idea of space travel is terrifying because we're almost spreading our plague on the universe instead of just well, leaving it just... contained to this dumpster fire. We've,
2: we've talked about down? that before. It's natural. We as Humanity as parasites is a natural thing. Like it's just what we do. You know, we are the we are the species that comes to a planet, strips of its of its resources, and then flies away. And yeah, it's a bummer, but it's who we are. So whatever. Are we? the, are are we we the fatties? <laughs> <laughs> are We're we the only guys. Um, I think the only way for humanity to truly like fix itself is to go out there. Is to Encounter something that we will not do good at, do well at, both you know do well or good at, and uh suffer the consequences as a result and so i I think space travel is is still always important, but I agree with you, Colin a lot like it's that was it 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 felt like a cycle, I think that was the big point of it. it goes. Dave, to old Dave, to bedridden Dave, to monolith, to baby, to monolith, to baby. And that seems important because the monolith, as Jason pointed out earlier, is a goalpost for evolution. So it's saying, like... (sighs) To me, it's saying that truly, like, you know... Your your step in the cog is only that it's only a pe- it's only a cog in the machine. You are only worth humanity as a whole. Like you know, it all comes together as one. That felt to me like the point. It's all an endless cycle, and it will be. We will lift each other up, or we will destroy us. Like Mark insinuated.
1: Yeah, I think um. There Was one thing so kind of going off of that, there was one thing that uh Stanley Kubrick said and in, deliberately in, in, in some interviews is um, is that you know, man, so because of the monolith, man discovers the tool and uh, the man uses the tool, and then uh, man puts man in a tool, and <laughs> and then the man within that tool destroys man, and so it's like. It's this huge loop that what man creates destroys man. It's it's kind of it, and especially at the beginning. I mean, like you know what, I mean what the uh, the you know pre homo sapiens did was you know they took a tool and the first thing they did was kill somebody with it. You know, and then uh, the first you know when something goes wrong with Hal, it kills people. You know, and then, you know, it's like, it's like this unending, like cycle, like we were talking about. And maybe the next step in evolution was creating this, you know, I think, I think he literally called them star children. Like the star child is the, you know, the rebirth of Dave, um, as sort of like the next step to maybe break that cycle sort of thing.
3: So essentially what you're saying is God creates man, man kills God, man creates dinosaurs.
2: I haven't yet, but I will.
3: Dinosaurs eat man. Women inherit the earth. Yeah.
5: I'm so proud of you, (laughs) Colin.
3: Bill,
2: I I like that you mentioned that because it's something I I wanted to say earlier and then I forgot about it. So, thanks. I have a question. Who was the ape with a bone at the end? Was it Dave or was it Hal?
0: Ape. Mm. well, considering how was mm, uh, I think I think it's probably because Ape. Dave wasn't born yet, and Hal wasn't born yet <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: I um i I would say that if if i if I thought about it, I think Hal in the end, was a was a tool. In the end,
0: yeah, he was. So was Dave. Created, am I right? He killed everybody. He was a, definitely oh, a tool.
1: What a what a freaking tool! Can we all just agree? Now that Dave's not in the room. Got it. So um, you say but, uh, you say
2: Dave was swinging the club of Hal
1: inadvertently. He, he, he had the epiphany because of what the monolith showed him. Like kind of like that ape. Like there was some some sort of thing that was inserted in, into his mind or his brain that kind of gave him the epiphany that he needed to have and so like so like going through his entire life cycle and dying and then being reborn it was kind of like a uh you know an epiphany that it was given to him see
2: that's so interesting to me that for you hal is a tool because he his it's it his the death i don't know uh, it, it's so human that it makes me question that i would be so on board with that entire perspective on on the film if it weren't for hal's death and the 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 singing daisy as as he as he dies i thought that was it was the most human thing we'd seen out of any human in the movie so far i felt like
1: it really was. I mean, honestly, I feel like that the horrifying aspect of like, I feel myself going, I feel myself, you know, whatever he says, you know, I, you know, I can feel myself slipping. My away mind or whatever Keeps saying it's my mind. mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, like, I feel like that was kind of, it's kind of like, I feel like Stanley, I mean, Stanley Cooper probably did. He, it's like, that sounds like, uh, you know, someone who's going through a slow death, you know, at the end of their life would say. And so it's like, yeah, it was very, very human. And so I feel like in a way, man created man within a machine. And so, you know, maybe that was the apex. Maybe that was the, you know, peak of what humans could do, you know, in all of their capability was to create themselves. And then once they've created themselves, then they have to become something else. I don't know. Well, and it's postulating. I don't
0: know. Well, isn't it also possible that the monolith is always just the monolith? It's a separate being from us. It's like you said, it's like a touchstone. But what if Dave is the the monkey who harnessed the tool and Hal is the rival tribe? Seeking to usurp the natural order of things, which is survival of the fittest. Dave was able to figure out how to use, and I mean, to a degree, you know, Hal Hal is also a tool, but he figures out how to use the tool. He knows, oh, I can just remove all these memory modules and shut down the system.
2: Well, even leading up to that with the explosive bolts uh, to get into the airlock, you know, he gets creative. He uses
0: he uses, he uses methods that are
2: not actually there, uh, yeah. you know, and bends the rules, circumvents the way things should be.
0: Yeah. He, he, he goes outside of the natural order of things. He utilizes the tools at his disposal. How, I mean, for, for, you know, for being a, uh, basically a sentient spaceship doesn't really have any tools to use. I mean, he's using, you know, what he has, which is just himself big, big air quotes there. But what if, uh, yeah, what what if what if it's, you know, just rival tribalism? You've got the the two humans who are conspiring against Hal, and he's you know, he's got his own sort of things, but in the end, you know, he's just taken down.
1: Yeah, at the beginning of the film, I I, I kept thinking about, I kept thinking about this, like, what does the moon monolith actually do? other than signal to the Jupiter monolith, you know? And I, I kept thinking about that. Like did, did that somehow inspire machine intelligence so that man could do something that would not be possible before, or was that, or is that just something I'm just coming up with right now? And then that would be the tool that, you know, the monkey would pick up, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. There's that's, that's, that's going way out on a limb, but, uh, I think that you're what you're saying. The sort of um, parallels there. I feel like they would align perfectly if Dave interacted with the monolith and then attacked Hal. But that's not how it worked out. He d- attacked him before he sort of came to the next phase in humanity. Next evolution, I
2: guess. Well, the thing for is like I always saw the monolith. Yeah, as like a as like a goalpost, like like Jason said, or a touchstone, like you. But like for me, especially in the beginning, what it felt like was the coming of technology. It's more an omen than it is a technological device at that point mm. for them. Mm. It's something that could not be created in nature, so that's why they could have never found it. The stone material. The way it's shaped, the way it's cornered, the edges, the smoothness, none of it is naturally occurring. So therefore, it's a representation of technology and civilization coming upon these apes, which is why they pick up the club. Not because the monolith told them to or anything, but because it just makes sense with what they've learned now. They've learned, you know, you, you know, on a on a primal subconscious level. They're not thinking, "Huh, that was crazy. I should find tools now." they you know, it was like it's just like something they don't understand, and they're going to try and understand it. And as a result, in their in their attempt to try and comprehend, they somehow land on tools, and that's when it picks it up, and that's when it learns it. You know, it's the same thing with with the moon monolith. They don't understand it. They're trying to comprehend it. And somewhere along the line in their comprehension, they they do get Hal, maybe. Uh that maybe, might be yeah. the tool. But I, I think either way, you know, Dave using the tools uh to circumvent his way into killing Hal, the usurper, or how being the tool, I think either one is a sound argument, one way or another. No matter which stance, what, what, it's just all about whatever stance you want to take on it, which is the calling card of a fantastic film. So,
0: yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. The monoliths just unlock the rest of the tech tree. <laughs> <laughs> tech tree unlocked.
1: You've earned two skill points. I still don't understand why I need. Gunpowder to make circuit boards. I just don't understand it.
0: <laughs> you have to take the resources from somebody else.
1: That was my big thing. That
2: that's I'm glad we touched on that, so that's all.
3: I mean
0: And that's the thing is you can interpret it,
3: this movie in so many different fucking ways. Because it is very open-ended at the at the end. Which honestly, that's where a lot of the criticism of the movie stems from is the fact that there's They're not putting their foot down on anything, really. It's. People hate that.
2: Those critics need to just accept some art in their lives.
3: Oh, they're all dead, Ben.
1: Good. (laughs) Well, there's a reason for that. Stanley Kubrick killed them.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Arthur C. Clarke. I I wouldn't put past him. I really wouldn't put. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, So, fun fact I don't know if you guys knew this, but while this movie was being written, and produced or whatever made uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote the novel alongside it. And then he also wrote three more sequels after this, which hmm. one of them, I believe, no, maybe two of them. No, just 2010. One of them. One of them has been. Yeah, just one of them has been made into a sequel. Um, and at some point, I guarantee you, someone's going to make another one. Another sequel for this movie, because Hollywood. But yeah, um, yeah. So in case you guys, and apparently in the following uh, stories, it it does kind of take more of a shape, especially in in uh, twenty ten.
2: Is it good? Is the question.
3: Uh, well, it's not directed by Stanley Kubrick, so.
2: Well, that doesn't mean it's not good. It <clears throat> just doesn't mean it's not. I mean, it, it's a masterpiece. It doesn't
4: hold it just up. Means it's not 2010 a masterpiece. is more of a traditional film. It's 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 not bad by any means, but it's okay. It does continue the story. I've seen it. Uh, it's been a long time, but um, a few of the characters come back by the same actors that portrayed them. A few of the characters come back by different actors, uh, but it does continue and the monkey story. Monkey
5: one, monkey two, yeah. <laughs>
4: Um, but yeah, kind of interesting. I mean, it's weird, but it's like, to me, I almost kind of just forget that exists. If that makes sense. Like it do- it's there and I guess it's canon, but it, I
3: just, no,
2: you don't need that. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's definitely, hey, it's definitely a clip. Hey,
3: look at it this way. The movie Stargate exists and then you have, you know, one series with, Ten seasons and another series with five seasons and another series with like one and a half seasons. None of those fucking exist because all we have is that first Stargate movie. That's all it that is.
1: Yeah, so it's
3: a, it's the same thing. You know, we don't sequels don't mean they have to like be acknowledged. You know,
2: right? Take it or leave it. The Matrix began and ended with one movie. Yep,
3: exactly. Two and three Superman
2: mean nothing. had Superman 1 and 2, and then they made Superman Returns, which was yeah. okay enough to acknowledge.
3: Star Wars had six movies. No, they had nine movies.
2: <laughs> no, I could say ten. They had ten movies. Three movies.
0: A beginning, a middle, and an end. Three movies.
2: Episode one, five, and eight. There you <laughs>
3: go. Nailed it. Um, all right, boys. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about with 2001? Because I'll go there with you.
0: There's also that scene in uh, "Brother, Can You Spare Two Dimes?" where Homer's <laughs> sitting in the um, the vibrating uh, lounge chair, <laughs> and he sees the end of the ending scene from 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Danny DeVito's in that episode, so that marks the second appearance of Danny DeVito on The Simpsons. Mm.
2: How does Homer feel about the ending scene of? Space Odyssey.
0: I'll take it.
2: <laughs>
5: There's a whole tree hey. house, tree house of horror with uh their house their their house becoming a smart oh, house. Yeah. A hell, yeah, hell style that, that smart one. house. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan does the voice of hell.
0: Yeah. A computer who falls in love with Marge. Yep. Tries to kill Homer for it. I think I remember that one. That one's called uh, no wait, never mind. That one's not called the Computer wore Menace Shoes. That's a different episode.
2: Is is there? an I'm afraid I can't do that Homer line, in that
0: Not one? in that one. Shame. Um.
3: Oh, guys, is it even worth saying? Is this good sci-fi or bad sci-fi? No,
5: it's it's a predecessor. It's a uh,
0: building. It's an block.
5: untouchable sci-fi. It's like untouchable
3: yeah,
4: yeah. so god-tier
0: sci-fi. This is, yeah. This is an origin sci-fi movie. I guess
3: at this point, just tell me what your favorite part about the movie was but be brief don't don't go into like a long explanation just tell me what what part of this movie you thought because i think we all agree that this is great sci-fi right
2: no this is magnanimous, magnanimous <laughs> plus magnanimous <laughs> plus, magnanimous plus.
3: um yeah Pat and <laughs>
4: why not i'll go first here with this one um i just i think to me what really struck, struck me when I watched it last night, rewatched it was just visually how stunning it still is. Even when held up with kind of the big budget, you know, uh, effects spectacles that we have nowadays with, you know, computer graphics and whatever, you know, how, how, whatever techniques are, have been used and kind of perfected over the last 50 years for better or worse. But like just thinking of all the techniques they did with like the matte drawings and miniatures and just, you know, all the other kind of creative things they had to do to make that a reality. And the fact that it still looks incredible, just clean, very stark, but in a good way. Um, you know, the set design and production design is just like second to none. And I think it all culminates for me with, uh, and, and I think Mark brought it up earlier, but that scene on the moon when they're all walking towards the monolith and just, like, everything is fucking perfect. Like, it's the perfect shot scene. Like, to me, you forget you're watching a movie. It's almost like you're it's a documentary. You're like, you're watching something that actually happened. And to me, that's that kind of transcendent whatever that Kubrick kind of was able to channel. You know, he was able to, to get that, whereas so many other filmmakers or visionaries or whatever fail. Um, and I just think he nailed it so well. And that was, like, the culmination for me of uh of what i really appreciate about him as a filmmaker so magnanimous sci-fi <laughs> all right
3: thank you jason uh mark just so we don't get out of order here i'm gonna let you go Ooh. all right thank you
5: mark well um, <laughs>
3: okay
5: <laughs> it's it's difficult uh jason's down to me uh, yet again I was going to talk about the uh, the modeling, and I mean, obviously, this this uh, this film in every aspect has set standards for, you know, the genre and the industry for for years and years to come. But the, in particular, us being a sci-fi podcast and growing up on sci-fi and loving, you know having a basis in all of this, a lot of the modeling and things, more 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 so than any other aspect of the film that I think is a standout, that has driven a lot of what our basis, like our baseline for sci-fi came out of. Um, the ability to get that scale that you require for you know the place setting and the the story in general you know but they even as we're talking about that they those things almost took a step back still because they they were doing things like overlaying live action on top of the modeling in 2001 that was not seen in other things that I'm referencing you know there were like Ports where there are people working that you can see in the modeling that they overlaid, and it's seamless. Like, even even though that's 10 years later when Star Wars is coming out, and that is, like, outstanding special effects and everything for the time, it's still a, a step back from this. Like, the fact that you're able to look at that and see this, uh, not just as a a baseline, but it also exceeds a lot of what comes from it you know it's
3: fantastic magnanimous
2: if <laughs>
3: all right <laughs> thank you mark uh ben young uh
2: i think that this movie would have changed my opinion on a lot of things in regards to our possible and probable future and i wish i saw it sooner um as usual, Stanley Kubrick remains one of the greatest of all time. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I really like. I, I, I can't say it enough. I really enjoy Hal. Um, you know, I think forever he's forever been mischaracterized as a villain, when in fact he's just a person who made a mistake and is threatened to be killed for it, and. Uh, I think his reaction was entirely reasonable, which is strange for me to say, but that's just how good of a job Kubrick does at making a computer sympathetic. Uh, you know, humans. I- I- humans were. I-, I I believe. For I do want to say uh, something. I forgot to, uh, that to say. I fully believe. Never for a second was Hal. Uh, being oh I think I might have said it earlier I don't think he was actually trying to like plot or anything with like the whole communication thing being down I don't think it was part of any plan I do think he made a mistake I I think that it was an error but the fact that they were immediately like well if he made an error we're gonna have to disconnect him I think that's when he was like okay well if you're gonna disconnect me I'm the only one who can keep this ship going what the fuck are you gonna do without me the mission and that's what led him to being like all right i'll i'll kill you if that's really what it's going to come down to because i'm willing to protect the mission you guys are going to sacrifice it over your your bullshit fear and that was like so human and it's just really it's really great it's really really great it's so fantastic <laughs> it's so magnanimous it's magnanimous
1: plus plus all
3: right that's all thank you ben bill jarvis
1: um I don't know if there's more I can say about this. Um I think yeah, it's great sci-fi. Um I think it was very much like you know, it brought a layer of seriousness and um and drama to sci-fi that people didn't fully have before. And it sort of like elevated elevated the genre in a lot of ways um <clears throat> that people didn't really have before. You know, like we said, like it was, you know, it was Christmas lights, it was Christmas lights and toys hovered in front of cameras and that was it. You know, it's like this really kind of made brought a seriousness an adult, mature idea um in sci fi. I don't know. So I, I, I think it was great sci fi and it's it was it was um paradigm it was a paradigm shift in uh, the genre
0: very good thank you bill andrew oh boy the moment i've been dreading since uh 7 30. Uh, um, uh yeah this movie is definitely a um it's like you say a massive paradigm shift it's it's unbelievably influential on just things that aren't even in the sci-fi genre i mean even even mark and i just you know mentioning the simpsons like this this movie gets referenced everywhere in in places you don't expect in ways you don't expect and shit it's it is it it literally is probably the epitome of magnanimous sci-fi um that being said i was incredibly fucking bored um Miller
2: you're a fucking coward because I knew what was going there and you should have said it earlier so that we had more time to rip you apart you I wanted to say it I tried twat. to
0: talk but people fucking interrupt me constantly on this fucking show yeah I don't know you're
2: six foot eight no one can interrupt you you just let it happen
0: six, <laughs> you just know how no, that happen. works but okay um I mean, if you want to take like ten, twenty minutes here to to, to no. So, no, my
2: audition, my audition's about to crash. We need to wrap oh, you're it up. Bri- <laughs> your Brian a
0: teen audition. Yeah, no, I get it. Um yeah.
2: but but I, but for the record, I, I do want to say that yeah. you because because that may have mischaracterized what I want what I was saying. Your your opinion is you valid. You are a coward. I, your opinion <laughs> you is valid, coward. and I love you. You're a fucking coward, but your opinion is valid. <laughs> I will
0: say I do not regret watching the movie. This was also my first time seeing it. Oh. Um, you know, and uh, I, I'm good. I, I don't think I need to see it again. Um, I definitely appreciate it for what it is and what it did for sci-fi. Um, but this is a 53-year-old movie. I myself am 31 years old. I've had a lot of sci-fi content in such time. I've seen a lot of rogue AIs. I've seen a lot of space travel. I've seen a lot of really cool colors and uh, I don't know I mean maybe if I maybe if we were doing this podcast like 53 years ago I'd be singing a different tune Um, I guess it'd be a radio show back then so I'd probably be talking like this and giving you an editorial about how new movie new sci-fi movie is out Um, new science fiction the new this movie will turn single handedly turn the tide of the war Uh, we don't have a war going on uh, but it will. There actually was a war going um, on when this movie came out. Vietnam. But, uh, I mean, I, 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 if I, were to, if, I think if I were to say that this were bad sci-fi, I would be diluting myself and diluting humanity. I would be pushing the monolith farther away from us as a species. <laughs> um, but I, I I think I'm good here. I, I think I'm good. Um, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Thank so, you, Andrew. I, Andrew's good, everyone. I respect that. Uh,
2: I respect that, yeah. Miller. I really do. I didn't hate
0: this movie. Apocalypse. I just was when? like Got, Wow.
2: <laughs> it's I'm the same way, I understand because I'm the same way with anime, as we found out. I respect sure. it, but I don't Nail like it. Miller, we're gonna disconnect yeah. you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just the, for, just fucking unplug me, dude. Just fucking. We've been doing it to Jason all night, but he keeps coming back. <laughs> I just, I I'm gonna have to I'm literally gonna have to fucking I'm gonna get crucified by my brother in law. <laughs> I'm gonna get fucking crucified by Kyle. I'm not looking forward to work on Thursday. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he doesn't right, listen so, to the fucking show.
3: So my one thing uh, I w- I want to point out is I love the score for this movie. Um, I always love it in a movie when there's the absence of a score, and it's just as fucking powerful. Um, every time they're in space, you know, the, the whole time when uh, – Uh, Dave is trying to get back onto the ship. There's no fucking music every time they show him and they show space. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. I love that. I loved every second of that. Um, And then, of course, they do all the, like, the, the, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. So I thought it was great. Um, Magnanimous, plus, plus, great (laughs) sci-fi. Andrew, just get your shit together. Figure it out. All right. So, I'm just kidding. Honestly, if I were to see 2001 for the first time right now, maybe I would have a similar reaction. I don't know.
2: I saw it for the first time, and that was not my reaction. Whatever. But, you know.
3: You know. All right. Uh, So, next week, just kind of, Ben, assuming this schedule is correct...
2: I believe the boys are going back to the we're movies going back to the
3: movies because we're going to watch fucking sex ed in space. <laughs> we're watching Voyagers. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's,
2: it's basically Lord of the Flies in yeah. space with Colin Farrell.
3: It's just it's people learn how to Wait, touch did you say
0: sex ed in yes, space. People learn how
3: to have sex and yeah, it's it's dumb.
0: What raunchy-ass movie are we going to see in some porno theater somewhere? From Whatever. the director of Ferrell.
2: Limitless.
4: It's rated PG or something
2: shit, be bad. is it? <laughs> 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 13-year-olds can it. I watch sex, the
4: trailer okay? there's no fucking way movie's it. PG.
3: It's like there's PG-13. No it's, it's not... You'll see. All right, so they say fuck once, but we're going to see a we lot gotta... of fucking fucking they are allowed okay. 35 we got um, to bring bucks. it back
2: down. We've been we 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 went to heady sci-fi. Yeah. Uh now we're going to bring it back down to something incre- what is certainly going to be incredibly fucking stupid.
3: I can't wait to tear this fucking movie apart. Um <laughs> what is Netflix it called? Movies, yeah. I don't care. Voyagers. Voyagers. <laughs> <That was not laughs> yeah. perfect timing it was so perfect. Please every time. Okay, so uh also this is your guys two week heads up uh and all the listeners out there we are doing um, Snowpiercer Season 2. Yeah, it's not moving. Weeks. Oh, hell so yeah. you have to get that shit in. Scene Don't Bean. Wait. Get your Sean Bond or your Scene Bean, <laughs> whatever the fuck you want to call him, get it in now so we can actually talk about it in two weeks. I'm excited. And Jennifer Connelly is back too, yep. right?
2: Yep. Yep, I'm there. So we go... All I needed was mm-hmm, that and I'm mm-hmm, happy. We <laughs> go heady down to raunchy and then back up into some heady leftism. And then uh, maybe stay heady. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Hey, Neil uh, Neil Berger directed Voyagers.
2: Yeah, the director of Limitless.
0: I said that. Yeah, but you didn't say his name was Neil uh, Berger.
3: (laughs) Some fun things to (laughs) look ahead in the next coming months. I'm not going to go into everything, but uh, I do know that next month we are doing Blade oh, Runner. Oh, 2049? 2049. Or regular Blade Runner. Fun fact. Yes.
2: Blade Runner 2049 was my birthday pick. Oh, was it? Oh. Wait. Yeah. What? That's how things work, isn't it? it we are doing Blade Runner 2049 on May 13th, and uh, it was my birthday
3: pick. Like, almost a fucking month after. Do, I,
4: do I get a birthday <laughs> pick? My birthday's in, like, a week.
2: Uh, it won't be on your birthday.
0: <laughs> it's okay only i get Be, picks on my uh, birthday
2: jason the joke we didn't my we didn't do
0: this
5: movie already is when i'm wedding
2: oh yeah yeah Twenty forty nine. my birthday's no. thursday that's it's this thursday
3: i could have sworn we had uh, jason do we want to just make 2049 your birthday pick as well <laughs> because you also love that movie i was <laughs> pulling for it that
1: independence day i
3: was I'm pulling for it that Independence one three Day three years ago well, what yeah, I delayed
2: 2049 so much is we wanted to watch it in Jason's with Jason's TV and Soundbar, and it just never was a thing that could happen. Yeah,
5: so. we all went to watch it in theaters. I thought, not all
2: of us, nope. Someone hasn't no. seen, except it. Except seen it. I have not seen it.
0: No, there yeah, you it was go. Miller. Yep, I wanted to see it. I like Ryan Gosling. And it's-
2: it's a movie for Miller. Like, it is Miller's movie.
0: My movie? Everybody, get out. This is <laughs> for Ben's my birthday? movie, everybody. Get out. Well, oh. I mean, I'm not why I'm don't... not
5: complaining. Like, it, I'm excited to watch it again.
0: It so. would
4: be very fitting to now come over to my house because I got lots of couches.
3: <laughs> do you have as many couches, couches as I do?
0: Do you have 2049 couches? I don't nobody, know.
3: Probably not. Nobody has as many couches. do. <laughs> Guy's got like five goddamn couches in his house. He's got like 30 goddamn dicks. His house isn't that big. Yeah, <laughs> 20 goddamn dicks. You. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, all right, so folks. So there you have it. That is our 100th fucking episode um, on 2001 A Space Odyssey. And uh, next week, we're coming at you with
0: some bullshit. So get ready <laughs> tell, us, uh, tell us, Tell us your favorite sci fi cross sections moment from the last 100 episodes. That is a great
3: idea. Yes. Email us at sci-fi cross sections at gmail.com. <laughs> Tweet us.
4: Or leave it on uh, Facebook. Send, send us a a telegram. Yeah, a send a telegram. You can find yes. us at send Facebook. A
2: smoke signals. Hush. Hush. You guys. You can find us at facebook.com slash sci-fi cross sections or on Twitter at SF cross sections.
0: Find me
1: on Tinder. Please I just mentioned one person just being like, hey, remember that time I made a recommendation and you guys tore it the fuck apart? Oh, that was my favorite Frankie, episode. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, until next time. Don't Be-
4: you like my movie, William?
3: It's-, <laughs> it's Guillaume. Ben just spit truly over the whole table. <laughs> 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 William, splashdown. Well, Ben, now we're de-
5: yeah.
3: <laughs> now we're do definitely you not.
5: Like him, <laughs>
3: now I'm we're sorry. definitely not going to get a sponsorship from Shirley <laughs> for that one. I'm sorry, I did not mean to do
5: that. <laughs> Keep watching this <laughs> movie.
0: William, you have beautiful. Just baby. shitting this movie out.
2: Sorry, Miller. Really seriously edit this out. This is not a joke. I will come for you. Miller. Miller. Really seriously edit this out. Edit this out. Edit this out. Miller. Really seriously edit this out. Edit this out. Get it, this out This is not a joke
0: Saturday morning
1: I need air horns
0: Fridays enemy.
1: I need air horns, Miller
0: Housework is
3: calling me But when do we I
4: need air horns
3: Kids the on a school
2: Get it, this out I need air horns
3: Trying to find a friend
2: Get it, this out
3: Everybody's been in this out. can wait for the night to
0: begin. To begin. The air, friends, village.